I had the privilege uh, last fall of being with you guys, and I did a series of messages about famous last words, the last words of several key people in the Bible, and Jesus was one of those people that we looked at. And I mentioned at that time, these were the last words we looked at when he went up to heaven. And I mentioned there was another set of last words that Jesus had before he died, and we didn't get an opportunity to look at that. And fortunately, since we went through the series, I was able to select that message, and that's what we're going to look at today. Um, we're going to look at basically the John 16, verses 16 through 33. But I just want to mention to you that this is really in the context of our series that we've been going through, Love to the End. Um, these are the last words of Jesus where he's sitting down with his friends, having a final meal, and really a last conversation before he's going to die. It takes place on the Thursday before Good Friday, and they're sharing this meal, and he knows that he's roughly about 24 hours away from being betrayed. Now, our theme verse from this series has been John chapter 13, verse 1, where it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And love to the end is what we've been talking about week over week. Throughout the series, we've looked at how Jesus loves us to the very end. We've been encouraged through this series to look at the depth of this love in different angles and different perspectives, almost like our mosaic. When you turn it, you see different things. And it's really, at the end of the day, it's an everlasting love. And that's the thing that we need to remember. And we're going to look at things today that are permanent and lasting. Last week, Pastor Brian shared with us from the earlier parts of this chapter about how the Holy Spirit came, one of the things that we have that we can hold on to, and how he's good for us, how he's good for the world, how he's good for Jesus. Chick's going to wrap up the series in two weeks' time, looking at the prayer of Jesus in John 17. I look forward to that very much. And then Pastor Brian's going to be preaching on Easter Sunday in the end of John chapter 20. We're going to see what Jesus did in terms of his resurrection and how that affected people then as well as it affects us today. So back to our message. Um, our last words kind of tell us things. They show us things about ourselves. These are things that when you think about what might your last words be on earth, and you use them very carefully, they're things that you want people to remember. What are those things that you want people to remember that you're going to say? The other thing that happens as you get near the end of your life is you start to give stuff away. I don't know if you've noticed that if you have grandparents or whatever, and they're getting near the end, and they, they start to want to give stuff away. So what I want to do is I just want to pause and say, if you were at near the end of your life, you know you're getting there, what would you give away? What are those family heirlooms? What are those keepsakes? What are those special things that you have that you want to make sure get passed on to someone else? So for me, uh, one such thing would actually be this rugged cross ring that my wife gave me on our 15th wedding anniversary. And inscribed inside it, it says, following Christ together for 15 years. That's how Phyllis and I, as we follow Christ together, we get closer to each other as we get closer to God. We have this intimacy with each other through intimacy with Christ. So it's a reminder for me, and so I would love to have this passed on to one of my kids when I move on. So today, we want to look at Jesus and what are the things that he passed on on this last night before he's going to go to the cross so what I'd like to do is just think about those things. There's two things that we're going to focus on today. One is joy, and the other one is peace. They're his joy and his peace. And specifically, we're going to look at how basically he's going to talk about how grief gets turned to joy. And we'll see and appreciate how much Jesus did for us. He overcame things for us, so that way we could have our grief turned to joy. A joy that's a lasting joy. We'll also look in our passage to see how because Jesus overcame for them, he left them a peace, a peace they can have and hold forever, a keepsake, so to speak. 
So we're going to see and appreciate more of that, this lasting joy and permanent peace. So what I'd like to do is just ask you to stand with me as I read the passage. Um, We're going to start, for those of you who have Bible apps or Bibles, we're going to start in John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. It's quite a number of verses. We have them up on the screen if you want to follow along. It might be easier there. Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father... They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because of her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming where I no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I'm not saying that I will ask ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and because that I have come from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus said, Now you are speaking, then Jesus' disciples said, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. That makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each of you to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone for my Father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me, You may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You may be seated. So I mentioned we're going to look at peace and joy. So we're going to start by looking at the joy, this lasting joy that's in the first part of the passage in verses 16 through 22, where Jesus explains how he will overcome. Because he's overcome for his disciples, their grief will turn to joy. Verse 16 started saying, In a little while you will see me no more. Then after a little while, you will see me. And it goes throughout the passage. Um, And so there's a sense here where basically we know what's happening. This is a very familiar story to us. We basically know that it's the end. He's going to go away. He's going to be crucified and buried that very next day. So that's the, in a little while, you won't see me anymore. That is the grief or the sorrow part. And then what we know is that that sorrow is one that is going to go away. Now, just, just so we're clear about this sorrow, sometimes I think when we look at the cross, it's easiest to remember just this sorrow, but it's not a sorrow sometimes that we feel. Um, it's a sorrow at that time that they basically had a bunch of dreams that were crushed, things that they were hoping for and desiring for. So, and, and I think sometimes for us, the sorrow, we can even feel sorrow after watching the season finale of your, last, of your favorite TV show, right? It's like, it's over. It's over. But it's so much more than that. I mean, because there's not many things that we follow like the disciples follow Jesus, okay? 
Think of it more as being lost, losing someone or something that's just really special to you. Or even those of you who are younger children or parents, if you've ever had a kid that's got lost at an amusement park or somewhere else, and that feeling of, oh my goodness, they're lost, I can't find them. That's the type of sorrow we're talking about here. However, Jesus also would describe what they're going to experience after seeing him rise from the dead, right? This is the joy part. And it's not a happiness we feel when our first season of the episode happens again, right? Oh, it's the season premiere. But there's an inner sense of being spared or found, spared from some sort of devastating situation or found like that kid is reunited with his parents. That's the feeling that Jesus is talking about here. As I mentioned, the disciples, they didn't expect Jesus to die. So this was very confusing and going to be very sorrowful for them. And what I like about here in John's gospel, it's the only gospel where up until this point, he's never recorded any words of Jesus telling them that he's going to die. In the other gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he actually foreshadows several times that he's going to die and kind of has that taste or that foreshadowing. Here, this is the only time we have it, and it's in this last conversation where they're sitting around having a meal, and he's like, I really got to let you know what's going to happen. Have any of you had that sense where you need to tell somebody something and you've been waiting and trying to find the right moment? That's kind of where Jesus is at. This is it. It's going to be tomorrow. It's going to be tomorrow. But what's interesting is, is that, you know, they don't understand, right? They keep saying, what does he mean? In a little while this, in a little while that. What does he mean? I, I, we don't understand what he's saying. They're confused in verses 17 and 18. And then Jesus interjects this rhetorical question in verse 19. Are you asking one another what I meant? And, and obviously, yes, that it says. And in, in, in 20, he answers that rhetorical question. I tr- very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. So basically, they're going to be crying at the cross. But their grief will turn to joy. Their grief will turn to joy. And what's neat is we see that in John 20, 20. And Brian's probably going to touch something like this on Easter. He says, and after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The grief turns to joy. Jesus gives us a little more insights. He goes on and talks about the parable of basically childbirth. And he say, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born in the world. So there's a double meaning Jesus is playing because obviously for him, he was going to go through pain of basically to be able to create new birth for us. And the suffering that he experienced allowed us to have that new birth in him. In verse 22, Jesus finished out this little section about grief and joy, saying, Now your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away. And this is the reality. is because he overcame for us on the cross, we can have this joy. It goes from this profound sense of sadness into this permanent sense of gladness. So what is this joy he's referring to? Let's, let's unpack this a little bit more. It's a permanent one. And some people will actually refer to it, and I really like this, as a calm delight. It's not quite a Cheshire cat smile, but there's just a sense of just enjoying something immensely that can't be taken away from you. In fact, we use an expression, uh, our pride and joy, okay? It really refers to someone or something that makes us very proud and very happy and very content. Some of us say our children are pride and joy. There's other things that maybe it's a car, maybe whatever it is. But I want you to just take a moment. I want you to think in your life, what are your sources of joy? What are those things 
from which we get our sense of gladness. Because what I want to do is uh, sometimes there's an expression people use called stealing your joy, okay? So what's neat here is Jesus is explaining that we don't get our joy stolen at all. What he's explaining is, is that we misplace our joy, okay? We basically take it and put it in things that aren't designed to be permanent or lasting. So there's times, for example, where for me, um, I find my joy maybe in my wife and her love for me or my kids and their love for me, um, unconditional as I, I perceive it to be, um, maybe in my achievements at work, maybe in my kids' achievements and some of the things that they've done, maybe in my favorite sports team's triumphs, in my son's sports team's triumphs. I mean, as you can see, the list goes on and on. So I want you just to pause and think again, what are those things that not so much bring you joy, that's a little bit different, but are your joy? Now, they're not really sinful in themselves, right, some of these things, right? They're temporary. When life is going well, we're healthy, we have a loving family, good friends, we have enough money to provide for our needs, it's hard not to have that sense of joy. But unfortunately, things change. Things turn for the worst, and things that we thought were a sense of joy really become a sense of sorrow and pain. So we need to discover those things. And this is a good time for me to put in a plug for the women's retreat. Discovering joy is the focus this year. If you haven't signed up, please do. Because this is a great thing. Now you're thinking about this to do more and more. But what I want to do is just stop again and just say, are there things that we're placing our hopes in or we're finding our joy that don't last? Because there's only one thing that's designed to hold our joy in a permanent way, and that's Jesus. Now, before I move on for that, I just want to remind you about something, um, that the sadness isn't necessarily a bad thing. Before we can have joy, we must first feel sorrow for our sins. Some people here today um, haven't started to feel that way yet. Um, there's sins in your life that maybe you think aren't a big deal. But as Pastor Brian Heidelay last week, God's Spirit comes inside of us, and He begins to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's never pleasant to feel that way. Uh, None of us like to feel convicted. But what it does is allows us to see our need for our Savior. So if you've never felt that sorrow for your sin, if you've never felt that pain and anguish about it, I hope today is the day that the Spirit will begin to work and bring you to this sense of repentance and judgment. Let me just unpack this a little bit more. Let's imagine you had a disease. But it was a type of disease that had no painful symptoms or visible signs at all and you had no idea that you were sick. Would you go to a doctor? No, because you have no idea. But once you begin to have that pain, then you realize there might be something wrong with me, and you go in and seek out the doctor to say, what is wrong with me? I need help. I need to get this resolved. And that's what happens with the conviction of our sin and the sorrow for our sin. And that's a good way to, if you want to know if you're a believer or not, do you feel sorry for your sin when it happens? But I can tell you that you can go to the good doctor and he's always the one who forgives us and restores us. Now, in the same way, many of us feel we're pretty good people here. We think that we're responsible, law-abiding citizens. We don't even feel the need for a Savior sometimes. But if you've never experienced that relationship with him and the joy that he brings, I pray that today will be the day. For those of us who are saved because Jesus overcame for us, we're reminded again how we're able to have our grief turn to joy, this everlasting joy. 
Let's place our joy back again in Jesus. Let's place our joy in Jesus. Now I want to jump down to the last section of our passage that talks verses 28 through 33 where Jesus explains how he's overcoming for his disciples and they're able to have peace. Because of him, we can have this peace. In verse 28, he tells them of his origin and his destiny. And he says, how I came from the Father and I entered the world and now I'm leaving and going back to the Father. In verses 29 and 30, he continues. And he says that he's used to be speaking figuratively and now he's speaking very clearly. He moves on and they felt that now they can get it. Now they understand who he is and where he came from. But they still didn't understand that he was going to die and rise again. But Jesus probes on their confidence and understanding in verses 31 and 32. He says, look, there's a time that's coming. You're all going to be scattered. You're going to go back to your own homes, and I'm going to be left here all alone, just me and my Father. And he finishes the conversation with these very famous comforting words in verse 33. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. And then what I love about Jesus, he's a realist, right? He doesn't just say, great, follow me, and you'll have peace forever. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So what is this peace that he's talking about? It's an internal, something inside of us that's also a lasting peace. Sometimes we refer to it as peace of mind. Do you ever tell somebody, I just I don't have peace of mind about this. I just, I just don't have a peace inside me. What's going on? So it is a sense of being internally, but it's also in the scriptures, it talks about a sense of wholeness, that there's nothing that you're lacking. You feel complete and whole in him. It's having it, to be fair, it's having it all together. I mean, you see people and you say, man, he really has it all together. But realistically, it's what's going on inside your heart. Is your heart settled on Christ? Is he your sort of peace? Have you taken heart in him? When you do, then you don't fall apart so easy. Okay, that's what's really going on here. As we sang earlier, it's being able to say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Now, what's neat is Jesus, this is not the first time he's talking about peace. In fact, we can go back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where it talks about the titles that Jesus has. It says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? Prince of Peace. That's what we're told. And then what's neat is earlier in John 14, we looked at this together. Okay, in our sermon series, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, right? Because there's going to be problems in the world, right? Don't be afraid. And then at the end of his life, after after resurrection, what is the first thing he tells them? He says, on the evening of that day, first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were there for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came in and stood in their midst and said to them, what? Peace. Peace be with you. What's the last thing he says on that same encounter? Oh, just a couple verses down. Jesus said to them again, peace, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So what does it mean to have peace in Jesus? What does it look like? Far too much, I think, we look at, at our faith and worry about our faith in creating some sort of peace rather than the object of our faith. Sometimes we think we're just not strong enough in our faith, and that's why we lack our peace. What we don't realize is that it's really the object of our faith that creates this peace and this wholeness inside of us. Jesus is the one who makes us whole, keeps us together when things around us are falling apart. He's the one who creates an inner resilience that handles the troubles when we have in this world. So what I thought I'd do is just demonstrate this a little bit, okay? Um,
So what does this peace look like? Well, I can tell you that when we take first ourselves, we'll use this one, and I take part of myself, which is the air, and I put it into this balloon, okay? This is who I am. I'm basically full of myself. And then when troubles or problems happen, right, we fall apart. We're into pieces, okay? And there's other times what we do is we take things from this world, right? We fill ourselves up with things of this world. And then when troubles or problems happen, that's what happens. Now, let me illustrate this even further, okay? Go back to these two examples, okay? Some of you, okay, who rely on yourself quite often, when troubles that you encounter in this world happen, what happens is that you pop and you just kind of are deflated and you just can't get anything done. You feel immobilized. You can't move on. Other of us who are just put our things in things of this world to get our peace, right, whether that's our kids, whether that's our work, whatever it is, when something happens and we lose our job or one of our kids has a problem or an issue, just not only does it affect us, but we splatter and get stuff all over other people. Now, that maybe has never happened to you, okay? Maybe all of you are very resilient, okay? You don't fill up in the Lord, in your own strength, and you don't fill up from things for this world. That's why Jesus said, look, I've overcome the world. Don't rely on it. He also said, don't rely on yourselves, okay? Rely on me. And so Jesus is more so like these. Many of you are familiar with these stress balls, okay? Now, with this stress ball, it is resilience, right? That's what happens. Troubles come. Problems come, okay? Things happen in the world. And it, and it is resilient. It pushes back. Now, what's interesting is, is that these stress balls, maybe you may not know, are actually a result of a chemical reaction, okay? Basically, there's a special liquid in a chemical reaction that creates carbon dioxide bubbles, and then they create a foam, and then the foam is put into a mold, and then we get our squishy squish ball. But the reality is, is that there's a special chemical inside that allows this to happen. And for us, if we want to have peace to be able to overcome our troubles and be resilient, it's about having Jesus inside and his Holy Spirit so we can be resilient and bounce back as we handle these things. So our resilience really comes from what's inside of us. So when we're full of ourselves, we break. When we're full of things from the world, we burst. When we're full of Jesus, we're resilient and bounce back. We're whole. We're able to no longer be deflated because we don't have to conjure up that peace from ourselves. We don't have to worry about how we're going to rely on circumstances and others to maintain our peace and burst. Instead, we can be resilient and remember how when we rely on Jesus and as he overcome, he's our peace. He's that lasting peace. In Romans 5, Paul talks about this. In verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So where do we go with all this? What does God want us to understand and apply from what we've done? For some of you, you're still searching for joy and peace. You haven't found it yet. You're trying to find it in things that are never going to give it to you. They're temporary things. They don't last. If you want peace with God, it's through believing what Jesus did for you on the cross. It's his work that allows us to have that peace with God. And he gives us that joy, that permanent inner joy because of what he's done for us. 
Now, for those of us who are believers, it's time for us to have that resilient inner peace that enables us to be more resilient as we face troubles in the world and have that permanent joy to understand what he's done for us. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for these things that you've left for us, just like my ring. Uh, You've left for us peace and you've left for us joy. Joy that we can experience because of who you are and what you've done and peace because you've overcome the world, this inner peace. So Lord, I pray today, I know there are many people who are experiencing troubles, um, including myself. So Lord, I ask that you would just allow us to fill ourselves with you, to be physically found in you, to put our essence in who you are, and to rely on you. And I thank you that you allow us to be resilient and bounce back. In your name, amen.